Hello there. Welcome to the Climate Resilience podcast series in Namoy. And today we're in town, in Tamworth. We're a podcast of local government New South Wales, and we're looking at communities, their councils, and the joint organisation Namoy Unlimited as they work together on the front line of a changing climate. I'm Gretchen Miller, and in this episode, Regional City Water, we're talking about how rural cities prepare for longer and more severe periods of drought. A city in the heart of cattle and sheep country with a strong industry and residential mix at its heart, Tamworth in New South Wales is coming good after the longest drought on record. A drought that was so severe it shocked the city and its residents and furthered the community's determination to be drought ready for the future. Six months ago it would have, there would have been no frogs, no water burbling. <laughs> it's quite lovely. We're sitting in the park on the banks of the Peel River, talking with the Mayor of Tamworth, Councillor Cole Murray, and with Tracy Carr, Tamworth Regional Council's Sustainability Officer, about how the city coped with drought and tackled community communication during desperate times. Good morning, Gretchen, and uh, lovely to be here on almost a spring day. We're still in winter, but uh, nice with the backdrop of the very healthy Pearl River meandering down behind us. So, Cole, what industries in Tamworth are particularly dependent on a reliable water supply? We've probably a little unusually for a city that's at the headwaters of the catchment in the western side of the ranges, but we've got some very large water users here, uh, predominantly food processing and predominantly sort of downstream agriculture processes, so in meat industries and grains and starches, etc. But our water usage or our potable water usage in the city is the take-ups around half for industry and half for residential, which is quite unusual. What industries are you hoping to see grow in this town as you move ahead? Well, because of the dominance of agriculture in our broader Namoy region, considered as one of the major productive areas in New South Wales and, in fact, in the country, and because of that dominance of agriculture and the sheer volume of the capacity for raw production, we believe it's really important in our region to upscale that processing and and bring the jobs back. We've become very, very good at producing commodities, but we want to become very good at also processing commodities and get the new jobs for agriculture that have been lost over the last probably generation or so and will continue to be lost into the future. But we need to transform those jobs into processing that product that we we're so good at producing and and get the value add and the jobs and the growth and the economic growth back into our region. Tracy Carr, as sustainability officer, had to manage communications with the community under significant pressure during drought conditions. As the town endured increasing water restrictions and the dam water levels dropped ever lower, I wondered what the landscape was like around the city in the middle of the drought. I guess it all starts back in January of 2019. We'd had a very hot summer, very dry, and 
we were watching the dam level plummet, basically. It was really dropping quickly. And we knew we were going to hit the trigger point for level one restrictions in early January, which we did. So everything was dry. Everything was barren. Yards were brown. All the paddocks in the farming areas, they were just dust, uh, dirt. And we often would get calls from the agricultural community and we'd hear the distress that they were going through. And the local residents, we quite often were dealing with their distress as well, which was quite trying. So there was no reprieve, there was no relief from just the harshness and the the desolate nature of what we were going through. It was very, very distressing all round. So the visual reflected the psychological in a way? Definitely, definitely, yeah. I went through a, a lot of periods of time where my concern was more about people's well-being and welfare than it was about us actually having a water crisis on our hands. It sort of came under my role. I was the first point of contact for probably 95% of people that were contacting council. And I can see that on your face and, you know, the, the relief of the green around us now yes. and the difference when you think about what it was like. Your face changes quite, yeah, quite dramatically and I suspect it's the same for everybody here. Yeah, yeah definitely to see it and feel it and have to help them try to manage their emotions and and try to give them some sort of peace or reassurance but at the same time carrying my own doubts and concerns as well it it was quite quite a difficult time but we could also tell just off the trajectory of the dam that it was going to be a very quick decline to higher levels of restrictions so within council there was a lot of energy, not necessarily always positive energy, although we were aiming for a positive outcome, obviously, but there was a lot of energy amongst the staff just knowing that we had to gear up and react to what was going to be a very serious situation. And within the community, there was a real a, a sense of fear. I think in some parts it bordered on anger that we'd been put in this position. I think the very fact that in 2016 we had a brand new upgraded Chaffee Dam with 102 gigalitres of water held in storage and from a water point of view I would suggest we were very fat and very happy. How quickly that changed and you know towards the end of September 2019, three years later we were on level five water restrictions and looking down the barrel at potentially um, starting to look at options as to how we might cart water to the city. So that shock in terms of how we managed the water, how we found ourselves in a situation where simply three years on we went from riches to rags in terms of water security and that's really caused us to think deeply and strongly about how we can improve that. A fairly profound statement is in about the mid-1990s our water usage in the city was pretty much the same as what it is today and that's a bit crazy because our population has more than doubled and uh, we've got one extra large avatar that employs around 1,200 people working in the city drawing on that same water supply so we've become much more clever about the way we utilise it and I think we will continue to... Uh, become more clever about how we manage that water into the future. So when I'm thinking about threats, I'm thinking about the drought you just went through. How much of a shock was that to you and to industry and to your residents and the agricultural sector? It was a very severe shock and um, we were sort of heading towards you know a little over a year's supply at, at a very critical point. How does the community react and how does the council guide it towards minimal water use 
and minimal anxiety. There was a, quite a bit of blame being thrown around, particularly in social media commentary, which as much as we'd like to think we can ignore that and it shouldn't dictate the decisions that we're making, it does have a big impact on the general community's feelings and how people are feeling towards council and towards the situation. So we knew we had a lot that we needed to work towards so that we could keep everybody on the same track and with the same common goal. But but you had a really extreme situation. Absolutely. So through Level 1, Level 2 and Level 3 and even into Level 4 restrictions, we have a fairly clear picture of what we need to do and what we need to achieve. So the things that we sort of would guide people through were acceptable were, you know, if you had to clean up a bodily fluid or a pet accident or something like that, using a minimal amount of water in that circumstance is okay. The other thing that we would allow is essential business operations. So, for example, a commercial painter who the only way they could prep a surface for paint was with a high-pressure cleaner, that activity was allowed. But washing of vehicles, any sort of care for any outdoor space, that all stopped and that includes commercial properties as well. The only thing that changed in the drought management plan as it was was aiming for a lower overall consumption target for the town. There wasn't a lot more detail and we certainly didn't have any real plan of how we could achieve that. It's all well and good for us to say reduce your water use, reduce your water use, but in some instances people might not know what that looks like or how they can go about doing that. It was the prompt for us to develop a detailed communication and engagement plan specifically for drought and water restrictions so that we had clear goals and we could give residents clear targets and clear actions that they could take so they felt they had at least some power in making decisions. Can you tell me a little bit about your plan on a page? One of the things that came out of the communications and engagement plan that we developed is we now have a plan on a page and it basically it's an A4 page per level of restrictions with a step-by-step guide of everything that we need to do. It's basically a tick sheet of how to implement our communication and engagement plan around water restrictions. I don't go anywhere without one. Each level of restrictions has its own unique colour to identify it. And then we have everything that we need to do. So what physical collateral we need, what messaging we need to have going out, what meetings or engagement activities need to take place at that point in time, what parts of the previous levels plan we have to amend to the new level and what that amendment looks like. It's very, very detailed, but it's very easy to read and it's a good visual guide and you can just work to it. So that's for you and for council use rather than residents? Yeah, definitely. So the fact that you're not referring to 64-page documents makes an enormous difference for staff. Absolutely. It sounds really simple and yet there's something about it that really works. Definitely. So at Level 5, we brought in the 150 litres per person per day target and then there was a whole range of resources that went along with that to help with the types of behaviours that would help. So we started giving out free shower timers. We did a lot of research about the average water use of a standard dishwasher, a washing machine, and then we worked out roughly how many times per week you could run those items to help achieve that target. We taught people how to go out and read their metre and calculate their daily usage, and we were encouraging them to do that and keep track of their water use so that they could figure out if they were hitting the target. So just as we were coming into summer, and when we moved to level five we did see an immediate drop in consumption which was really heartening and then it got hot and evaporative air conditioners 
turned on, which, you know, we're not going to prevent anybody from calling their house. Health and wellbeing is very important. But we were shocked at the actual impact that those air conditioners had on our water consumption. So on the hottest days during peak times, looking at between four and five megalitres a day, which is 30% of what we're aiming for on top almost, which is quite significant. So, yeah, throughout the summer period, we... We just had to accept that we were never going to hit our consumption target and just continue to reinforce the message to make savings where you can. We also, we run a water saving rebate scheme. Initially that was set up for residential properties. When we got into the peak of summer, we extended that to the business community as well so that they could access those rebates. Is that unusual to include business in rebates? I'm not aware of a lot of places that are doing it. I'm not sure if you'd call it unusual, but it's certainly what made sense. Especially when you consider that 50% of Tamworth's water use is by business. I mean, it's great. It means we have a thriving economy. We have great employment opportunities. So just to backtrack slightly, you know, and keeping in mind that 50% usage around June of 2019 we got an independent water auditor in to conduct audits of our 53 largest water users they got a detailed report of how and where they're using water which most of them were very aware of that already and then there were a list of suggested actions they could take the approximate cost to implement the change and how much water they would save so then they were able to calculate a payback based on the money savings they'd make off their water notices as well and the audit's were actually a really great engagement tool with those businesses. It it got the ones that maybe hadn't been thinking about their water use really started to think about it and look at the savings opportunities, both financially and with water. And the other thing it highlighted was that we have three large meat processors on our town water supply. They are incredibly efficient already. The gains that were identified to save water and save money were really big ticket, really intensive changes that they would have to invest in. So they'd already done all the easy work, all the low-hanging fruit and even some more complex work to save money, which which was really positive. But further follow-up from the audits has shown that they're still working on what's in those audit reports and, and looking at ways that they can make changes. For Tracy Carr, it was important for those on the climate change front line to acknowledge the mental health impacts of climate stress, whether council staffer or community member. Understanding stress and its impacts allows communication and decisions to be made considerately. To say that, you know, I breezed through the last 18 months would be an absolute fib. And I've had to watch my colleagues and the pressure that they've had to work under as well. And I guess probably to try and put a bit more of a human element on it, at the end of the day, I had to go home and be a resident living on level five restrictions with my family as well. So it was very, a really, really challenging time. I'd say it's the biggest professional challenge I have ever had, but incredible learning like the things that I've learned and the the way that I feel differently about my job and and my community now you know it's it's quite immense as well it's I don't know it's such it's like a once in a lifetime thing I hope and yet we know that there are going to be longer more intense droughts coming up how are you pedaling in order to kind of keep up with that and to really explore new options It's a difficult question to answer. So as the sustainability unit, 
our focus will always be to make sure that the community is as educated and prepared as they can be at all times to deal with whatever scenario comes up. When it comes to actual water supply and the potential for more frequent droughts or longer droughts with a greater impact, we're really having a big push on grey water reuse and water sensitive design in, in developments and the rebates to support retrofitting to make your house uh, more water efficient. During periods when we're not restricted our focus is always to reduce our outdoor water use because that reduces our dependence on water in the long term and it also it has a small psychological benefit that people can still have a nice outdoor space even when it's dry because I think that was one of the big struggles there was nowhere nice to go to get away from it there was no green space anywhere so you know, we, we work off, there's a, there's a state average calculation that outdoor water use is roughly 40% of a household's use when there's no restrictions in place. And that's a lot of water that people are reliant on. And so one of our main campaigns outside of restrictions is called Let's Thrive. And it's all about creating an outdoor space that's usable, beautiful but uses minimal water. So that will be our big focus. You know, we really want people to think about how and where they use water all the time and how can they reduce that dependence on it so that the impacts from the next drought and the next drought aren't as severe on the way that they live. I'm interested in how you communicate a sense of urgency, of the urgency of water restrictions and what they mean. I mean, the community's now used to restrictions coming on and off, but I wonder how you built that familiarity and that respect. The difficulty that we had with the most recent drought and current drought was probably keeping people out of the panic area. We needed the tone of everything that we were doing to be serious and we needed people to know that they needed to take action and we needed to tell them what action they could take without them going into that panic place. And there were messages out that were out of our control. We were fairly adamant that we wouldn't use the terminology day zero early on because it wasn't an option. Day zero being? You turn your tap on and nothing comes out. We did fully accept there could be a point where Chaffee Dam may reach zero, but there could never be a day zero for this community because it, it's inconceivable. Like, they move heaven and earth if that's what has to happen but that cannot happen so we stayed away from the the day zero terminology. So you built familiarity and respect through some very conscious decision making around language? Yeah definitely the language was really important you know not shying away from saying yes this is a serious situation yes we do all need to do everything that we can work together that was our tagline for the plan and it it's right. It, it's almost becoming a little bit cliched at the moment. Everything's worked together, and, and but it just worked. You know, we had to work together. The only way that we were going to get a good outcome or give ourselves the best shot at having a good outcome was if everyone, begrudgingly or not, got on the same team. We began this conversation as you were reflecting on what it was like at the height of the drought with the fact that social media was not a happy place to be. Did you ever see a shift in the way the social media and conversation around the town went as a result of your actions? 
it was around October, November last year, every now and then there would just be somebody who understood the message that we were putting out and grasped it and was brave enough to make that comment publicly in response to some of the negative people. And that voice gained a little bit of traction and there were a few people joined in and you would see there'd be a few negative comments and they'd have the little react emojis on them and then the person who'd put the quite the balanced, measured, informed accurate statement in the comments so that there'd be like twice as many likes on that comment or reactions to that comment as some of the others and things like that they're the little things that I really grabbed onto it's like right that person gets it and that's great that's progress I'm not from a, a communications background and so it was it's a little bit new to me and that I said I'm thick-skinned so to get people with those expertise in to teach me and also help us guide and teach the community was great. What did you learn there from that expert? So acknowledgement of people's feelings. So if someone's feeling some way, you know, if they've got a strong emotional reaction to something that I wouldn't necessarily have, it doesn't mean it's not valid. That's probably the greatest thing I learned. Acknowledge how someone is feeling and, and accept that the way they're feeling is theirs and they're allowed to have that. And then give them the facts and the information they need to come back from that ledge. That was a huge learning curve for me and it was great. At the time we talked, Tamworth's Chaffee Dam was at 25.3%, which was a great relief to the community. Reaching 25% was the trigger to ease restrictions, although having cut back, some still feel nervous about increasing their water use. It's a relief, but it's also a little, it's nerve-wracking because it doesn't feel like we've got enough. We have a drought management plan and it sets the trigger points to change our restriction levels. It's a really well thought out plan. So I'm back to having to, feeling like I have to have faith in the plan because it's, I didn't think it would be this way, but going back up, uh, like easing restrictions is almost as anxiety-inducing as going down through them. <laughs> um, and we made the announcement yesterday and, you know, the negative commentary is, is definitely quite loud at the moment, saying that it's too soon and we should stay on level five and why would we go to a, a lower level of restriction when we're heading into summer and, and things like that. But the reality is very little changes between level four and level five. Except the 150 litre per person per day target is eased back to 200. So it is the right thing to do and it is nice to be able to offer a little bit of reprieve to the, the community should they choose to take it up. You absolutely can if you choose to, but if you want to live more sustainably and reduce your impact on our water supplies and save money off your water bill, I would say go for it. I will be. I'm certainly not going back to the old ways. So I don't think I'll ever buy a sprinkler again. <laughs> Tracy Carr and Cole Murray from Tamworth Regional Council. This is the Climate Resilience Podcast in Namoy, part of the local government New South Wales Increasing Resilience to Climate Change project funded by the New South Wales government. I'm Gretchen Miller. And do check out our related episodes on how councils want to maximise recycled wastewater during future droughts and how the agricultural community are keeping water in their landscape for longer. I'll see you next time. Are they very zealous? Okay. They're king parrots. No, they're king parrots.